Hi, I'm Emily Bellet, the founder of Vespot.com, a thriving community that financially empowers women and author of the Amazon bestseller, You're Not Broke, You're Pre-Rich. And this is The Wallet. The Wallet is here to help you make better financial decisions by talking honestly about money. I'll be sharing my best tips, inspiring you to take charge of your financial futures and talking to an array of awesome guests from all walks of life, employees, freelancers, entrepreneurs, and money experts. Elizabeth Ubiebinene is a brand strategist, columnist for the Financial Times, and co-author of the award-winning book, Slain Your Lane, The Black Girl Bible. From a multi-title book deal to podcasts and live events, Slain Your Lane has become an empowering movement for black British women. Today on The Wallet, we take a deep dive into Elizabeth's inspiring journey since the success of the book. We talk about her experiences navigating the corporate workplace as a young black woman, her relationship with money, and the benefits she's discovering as a freelancer. With self-employment on the rise, we take a look at what's going on in the workplace and why many women, and in particular women in marginalized groups, are opting to work for themselves. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you today? I'm great, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm very well, thank you. This rainy, you know, rainy day. But, yeah. you know, I, I think we used to be inside anyway. Yeah, I'm about to go to Ikea later to get some home stuff. So um, I'm feeling cozy right now and threading, getting wet later. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So I really wanted to have you on the podcast today to talk about you know, what, what you've been up to, your career, your journey. People know you because you won multiple awards for your books, Lane Your Lane. You just published a new book, Loud Black Girls. But also, I mean, the, the money conversation, I guess, is at the, the forefront of, of what we do. So I wanted to deep dive and, you know, and talk about, you know, what's, what's happening in, in your life and, and because you've been a freelancer writing all these books. So... Yeah, trying to trying to <laughs> think about money maybe differently. Yeah. So you're writing another book now. You've published a book. Can you tell us a little bit more about you know what you do today and what's been your journey since uh, slaying your lane? Maybe. So what I do today is my average day very much varies, which is a blessing, of course, because, you know, being able to kind of do various different things and work on different projects and flex, you know, as different types of skill set is obviously like great. And, you know, just because as well, you're able to bring in different sources of income. So um, my day very much varies in terms of like what I do. So I work as I work in advertising as a brand strategist. So I do that a couple of days a week um, and I help brands such as Nike, uh, Bumble to kind of, I guess, refine their strategy um, and things like that. And if I'm not doing that, I'm also working on, you know, slaying and lane stuff. We do, you know, very various events um, throughout the year and also, you know, writing books and doing, you know, doing all of that sort of stuff and writing articles, the odd article here and there, which is so different to what my life was a couple of years ago. So I worked in the city. I worked for HSBC um, in Canary Wharf. Um, that's where I kind of like got my kind of like first like job after graduation and it was you know I guess a traditional nine to five which I enjoyed and I learned so much and I always say that if it wasn't you know for that kind of grounding in the city I don't think I would be this savvy um, in this you know world of freelancing and you know flexing your skill set and essentially making a living <laughs> and hustling essentially so my yeah my day varies so much and it's very different to how it was before and yeah like I said it's 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 got its good and and, and bad points yeah I guess I, I come also from a you know more like working in, in the financial industry so <laughs> we have seen each other in, in the city it's very particular to work there but I agree with you I mean for me it was it was really a good school to actually work in finance, you know, super, super challenging, mm. very driven. But what, what has been your experience working in, in the city? In all honesty, I really enjoyed it because 
it was very, you know, fast paced. There was a lot of structure. And I think at that point, when you start out, you need a little bit of structure. And I think for me, what I really enjoyed the most was the opportunity to learn in a really big company and learn from the people I was around as well. So I was one of like the youngest people in my team, in the marketing team. So I worked for a bank, but I dealt with the marketing creative side of things. And I always say, you know, I... I worked on the fun things in banking because a lot of the time um, <laughs> it isn't particularly fun. And so it can be very intense. And I, I think in all honesty, I think that was what I got out of it. There was, I learned so much and I, I was given a lot of responsibility. So I had a manager who I guess really saw potential in me in early on. And he took my line manager to a side and was like, um, I really want Elizabeth to be working on this, this and this. We have to kind of keep her engaged. Um, so make sure that, you know, she gets to work on these types of projects and which I guess kind of rubbed, you know, people up the wrong way in my, in my team at the time a little bit, because it was like, who's this girl that's come in and, you know, she's been given all of these, you know, fun projects and all the projects that I want to work on. So, um, there was a lot of, you know, you know, politics as well but I guess I navigated that sometimes you know um well other times not so well <laughs> but but in all honesty I think that in an environment like that it's really important to kind of try new things and I think that was what I guess really set up the foundation of you know the career that I have now yeah nav navigating the workplaces I think is really difficult especially as a junior and, and maybe even more in banking so well done for for doing it <laughs> Thank like you. I remember when I was an analyst you know you just had to you know follow the rules work hard yeah <laughs> listen to the to the instruction and, and it was really hard to sort of you know step up and stuff now looking back I was like you know I should have done things differently but really as you say like you know show your work uh, take any opportunity that's been given to you mm. and really take it as a as a journey, like learning, uh, learning constantly, because these places are great for that. They're full yeah. of trainings, sponsors. You've got to milk it. That's something I always say to younger um, professionals who like, ask me for advice. I'm like, you know, it's a training ground for you. It's a step up for you to do something even better. And you've got to milk it, milk everyone for their knowledge. And I don't mean that in a you know very insidious way, but be interested, be curious, be, be you know, be enthusiastic because these are the kind of like attributes that people notice and people want you to work on their team. They want to be around you because they, they, they feel that energy from afar. So those are the sorts of stuff that, you know, that I definitely picked up early on i'd love to come back to that but i just have a question for you on i've read in other interviews that you say you're an accidental writer mm. <laughs> so how i mean for me it's the same like i wrote a book last year but i never uh, i thought you know i should I'm, i'm gonna write a book i'm a writer I, i don't know if you know are you born a writer i'm not too sure uh, <laughs> but how how did it happen When I say I'm an accidental writer um, or an accidental author, it's just because on, in all honesty, it was never part of my trajectory or something that I saw for myself. I was always ambitious in terms of, you know, I wanted, I wanted to do well in my career and I knew that I could do well in my career, but I didn't, I guess, foresee I would do it via this medium. So I guess, you know, with Slaying Your Lane, um, which is a book I co-authored, it was an idea that I had back in 2015. And it was off the back of, you know, my experiences working in the city and working um, in this very much dynamic environment that I was learning lots. But because of the responsibility that I had, I was learning, but I was also, you know, encountering challenges and challenges that I couldn't always attribute to me being, you know, inexperienced or me being young or me being a woman, but also the fact that I was black and I was a young black woman. So, you know, I read books such as Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg and other types of books that, you know, speak about what it is to be in the workplace. And what I kind of, you know, realized was this was a, there was a big elephant in the room, um, which is, you know, what it is, what is it to achieve and do well in these environments when, you know, you have the dynamic of being, you know, a woman, but also being black. So that was a challenge in that respect. And I think that that was what kind of like led me to kind of, you know, speak to Yomi and um, at the time and, and kind of say that, you know, you're a writer, please write this book for me, <laughs> um, essentially, <laughs> because I, I would love, I would love to read it because I'd love to find out what I could do to kind of, you know, make sure that I'm putting my best foot forward in everything I do in the workplace. So that kind of spawned into let's work together. Obviously I was, I was working in marketing at the time. It was very much like, you know, this book isn't going to be just a book. It's going to be a movement. And I, definitely fell into it because I probably didn't realize how much writing takes up in time, takes up in mental capacity, in creativity, and how much you have to give 
how much of yourself you give to a book and to every word and to every paragraph and to every page. If I probably deeped it and realized back then, I may have been a bit more hesitant than just being like, yeah, sure thing. Let's do it. (laughs) 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 So um, it was definitely an accident and, but a happy accident at that. And I'm, you know, super proud of everything that we've been able to achieve with, with it. Yeah, it's a super powerful book. Um, I remember I read it not this summer, the previous summer, and it was really eye-opening for me. We had many, many conversations with, you know, friends, people within the the Vespa team, and you know, we we reviewed it on our platform, and we decided, you know, that's something everyone should read, and that's so important. I've been in same in like big banks and in the workplace, but there's so many things you actually don't realize. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you think women is a challenge, but actually being a black woman is even harder. So I think there was a lot of, you know, tools and, 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 and lots of learning from, I think, for everyone to, you know, help each other and get better um, at, at understanding, um, you know, racism and everything. So thank you very much for that. No, thank you. I'd like to talk a bit about money and, and we'll come back to, you know, maybe the, the disadvantage that, you know, black women have also in terms of, you know, managing their finances and earning money. But I guess working in, in a bank, uh, that gave, gave you a good head start in terms of, at least earning good money? You would think so. Yeah. <laughs> tell me, you tell think, me. <laughs> you would think that. No, no, honestly, let me, fin- let you finish your qu- the question because yeah, you would think that, but not necessarily. <laughs> okay. So I'd like to know a bit more about your relationship with money and if working in finance had any influence on, on how you, you see money and how you manage your money. So I guess the reason why I wanted to work in a corporate space and in a bank um, and a financial services industry and in and, and finance was because, not because I was great at maths or I was very much in that world at uni. I really wasn't. I studied politics and international studies. It was more of a strategic move for me to, to be in that space just because the graduate salaries were more um were on average better than just going straight for the creative marketing um standalone um jobs and grad jobs that I saw at the time so that was my motivation so my thing was okay I I'm never going to be you know I remember there was a an interview that I was meant to go to uh, it was like a Goldman Sachs grad interview for operations or something like that I went to the first one and I you know passed that stage and I was meant to go to the second one and I really thought to myself, Elizabeth, you are not cut out for this. I know your, I know security is really important to you, but you will be miserable just because this is not, you need to find a hybrid, uh, a happy medium. And I think that's a theme throughout my career. It is that happy medium of, I need to earn money because security is really important to me. I need that foundation, but also I need to be able to, to, you know, flex my other skills, my creativity. So that was what was in the back of my mind was, okay, I'm going to find, you know, a bank of financial services, but I also, I'm going to find the, the, the roles that um, suit me. So comms, marketing, those are the kind of like roles. So that was meant that, you know, my graduate salary was better than, I guess, if I had gone down the, you know, uh, ad straight off advertising. I would have loved to have worked in advertising straight off, but I just knew that the average salary at that point was, I can't even remember, I think it was like 18K or something. And I was just like, I can't do that. Like for me, I wanted to kind of, you know, be, when I got back into London, I wanted to move out and just have that independence and really kind of like find my my space and navigate those things. So, you know, how does how did that kind of influence, you know, my my relationship with money. I would say that being in a bank, I was very aware, obviously, of, you know, about things such as mortgages and, you know, credit cards and all of that sort of stuff. But it was because I I worked with the product team, they had to know that knowledge. I had to know it to an extent, but not in much detail. So I to this day don't have a credit card, um, never had a credit card. Um, not because I'm particularly frightened about credit cards or irrespons- you know, I'd be irresponsibly spending money or anything like that. But more so, I don't feel confident that I would use it to its best ability at this time. So I kind of like, you know, refrain from from doing anything like that. So I'm quite risk averse, which is, I don't know, a bit of a challenge for women as well, or just, you know, people sometimes. So um, I would say that, yeah, my relationship with money was weird because I was in this space that 
I, you know, was working for a big bank. I was doing the kind of fun stuff and, you know, interesting strategic marketing and how to kind of, you know, communicate all of these kind of like, you know, deals and um, products. But I didn't necessarily have like particularly great knowledge in, in the actual detail. But in all honesty, I think that I kind of shied away from it and I made loads of costly mistakes as well. But I couldn't say, yeah, that's, I, was, that's, I made loads of costly mistakes um, during that time. You know, what you told us about, you know, working in finance and not necessarily being aware of all the products and all the options, <laughs> uh, that doesn't surprise me. That may surprise uh, people who are listening to us. But I also worked in finance and, and in investments so or yeah. really like investing institutional money. But I wasn't actually doing it for myself, investing for myself. And that's when I realized, OK, how do uh, how are we going to do that then because mm-hmm. even if people who work in finance but not necessarily on the you know personal finance or advice side don't know about these things and you know credit cards i see you know many students they graduate they get their first job and the first thing uh, they've been given is like a credit card mm. you don't necessarily read the terms you don't know how they work and you can end up in these like really really tricky situations absolutely um, can you tell us a bit more about your money mistakes <laughs> my money like mistakes the I mean, they're all great experiences i guess so i would say my money mistakes is just like silly things such as i remember i moved house so i went to uni i moved house and so i went away like you know i went i went away i was not in my family home anymore i went to like you know i went to warwick so i was two different addresses i had you know put down i don't know what happened but there was such a faux pas on my part where I cancelled one of my contracts. I thought I'd paid it, thought I'd paid it off, but I didn't and paid the last bill. I thought I'd paid the last bill off, but I didn't. And they were like still emailing or not emailing, like sending letters to my old house. Not, you know, and what ended up happening was like a couple of years later, I, um, I tried to get some sort of phone contract out and it was like, you can't because you have bad credit or I remember I remember feeling so panicked and thinking oh my god someone has defrauded me somebody is using my address using somebody has you know done something with my name and like and not knowing it was me just because of that I think I think in total it was like 23 pounds was like the final bill and the yeah. ended up and over the years and with like the debt ended up being passed on to somebody else and before I looked at it it was like 500 pounds or something and oh. I remember yeah I remember thinking oh my god and this was like by this point I got my first job so I was like 500 pounds I'm not I didn't have like 500 pounds to pay this off so I had to like have a thing where they took like 20 pounds or every month or something and then and then I think by the end of the year I just paid it off and that was like and I think it stayed on my record up until like this year earlier this year or something like that and there was another there was another mistake that I made with like my old bank account when I was in college I had an overdraft I never used it and then when I went to uni I think I used it um, to buy um I didn't it's just it's, you know, it's it's like I had the money but I didn't manage it in the right way so by the end of it when I closed the account again I think I have a pattern I just didn't do the necessary admin to to make sure that I did things in the right way and then years later there was like you know I didn't get like a C, I, I don't have like a CCJ or anything but I know it did affect my credit record and it was I would say it was only earlier this year where you know, everything was fine. And like, I think it stays in your record and it kind of, you know, my credit record, my credit score was, was good, but it, that was what was kind of like, I guess, holding it back a little bit. And then now early this year, it was totally fine because they've, it's kind of, it's the time has gone. So it's just those kind of like, I guess, admin things that we don't, if we don't take care of them, they take care of you in a very negative way. And I think that's, I guess, what makes me quite fearful about credit cards, because I know I am so go, 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 go. Like with my, like, you know, in terms of my career, like I'm always, I'm jumping from one Zoom to another. I'm working on this project to another that I don't really have time sometimes to like manage the very, like, you know, the intricacies of these these little these little numbers and these little you know these little bullet points and things like that and I just get really scared because of those two experiences I I did have when I you know wasn't paying attention yeah and these are like super you know small things and they you think it's nothing and then you just forget and it comes back to you it's like a, a boomerang absolutely um, and there's the money to repay but there's I guess it's also the emotional side of it I mean how did you feel at the time when you discovered like you know this massive like credit card bill or overdraft 
it was just, do you know what it is? I just felt really pissed off at myself. Yeah. And I think that was what it was just frustrating. It was just frustrating. It was like, Elizabeth, come on, like, come on. Like it was just that. You're so, grown up. <laughs> yeah. It was just like, come on. It's not that, because it's like 23 pounds has turned into 500 pounds. How? How? So it was just for me, just, I just got really irritated at myself. And I think when I make costly mistakes, and I throw money down the drain and like, you know, even when I buy certain things now and it's like expensive and, and then I, and I break it or I don't look after it. I look up, I look at myself and go, grow up. Like you are embarrassing <laughs> yourself. <laughs> like literally I'm just like, that's how emotionally, that's how I am with like money when I, you know, fuck up or don't do something correctly. I, I, I am quite like Elizabeth, you know, you've got to do better. Like this is, you're not a little child anymore. You've got to be in the driving seat of your emotional there's no point earning money and earning good money if you can't maintain it if you can't you know at this point I don't think I've, I've grown my money I'm, I'm not even looking at that because right now maintaining and managing is still the headspace I'm at so I haven't been really I thought about investing I really want to do these things but I just know that because the type of life I live and type of person I am I'm so wrapped up in my own world that I just know that if if I make a costly mistake I just don't know if I can recover because I would be so hard on myself. And I think that's what's, that's what, that's like the fear that I have. But most of the time when I make mistakes or, you know, when it comes to money, it's either great, Elizabeth, you've just done this deal, you know, you're earning good money. This is great. And then, you know, or it's come on that bill that you, you know, I went to Dubai last year and then I think what happened? There was some sort of phone, it was all these phone bills. It's all of these stupid like contracts. And honestly, it just gets me going because I can't remember that I went and then there was some sort of like, I think I called somebody or long story short, my bill coming back was like, I think my bill every month is maybe like 30, maybe 20 quid or something. Cause I don't have contracts. Exactly. So I've gotten rid of my contract like a couple years ago because I was like, I'm ref- I refuse to be en- entering any contract. And then I get found out. I remember there was an issue and I remember like three were like to me, yeah, you are, you owe us 120 pounds because you use your, your, your phone off outside the tariff and, and X, Y, Z and data. I was fuming. So it's stuff like that. That's just, that gets me irritated. Yeah, no, it's it's so annoying. And as you say, like managing money is a, is a journey. So I think learning from from these mistakes, that's how you start building up this first layer, which is really like financial security. So make sure you earn enough, you you know, you spend, you save money. So maybe having these like emergency funds, checking your credit score, mm-hmm. like credit report is super important. <laughs> and, and actually this can be done for free uh, online. Yeah, I do that quite often now. And my yeah. credit score was the best because I told you I had that little thing on my record. It wasn't a CCJ, but it was something that stays on your record for six years. Because oh, that, nightmare. That so that happened to me when I was 22. I, I'm 28 now. So it stayed on my record for six years. And I think that's the that's the legal thing or something like that. I know it's not yeah. a CCJ because that's quite serious. I know it was it was just something like, you know, quite negative, but not as serious as that. It, I would say, so my credit score now, because I, is, you know, I would say is quite high. But that little negativity thing was holding it back. And that happened when I was 22. Yeah, it's really hard to uh, to then sort of, you know, not clean your score, but then making sure it's like healthy yeah. and go back to, yeah, to like a blank, blank page and show financial institutions that you're really good at, you know, using your credit and paying your bills on time and everything. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> tricky. But at least, I mean, you've been talking about uh, earning money. Yeah. Um, that's that's a big part of of managing your finances and obviously it's really helpful to be able to you know to know how to ask for more money how to negotiate money do you think i mean i know you touched about that in, in slaying your lane is it something you're proactively doing like you know negotiating your your rates asking for more money uh, and how can 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 women do that? I think honestly, it's one of those things where I think it's a journey. Like again, like I always say, with confidence, it's it's a muscle. So you you have to keep you know exercising on that confidence because some days you don't feel as confident as other days. And I think that's how I feel with like asking for more money and using your voice when it comes to you know negotiating. I think you have to do it as often as possible because that's how you. It's all about that earning potential. So you have to communicate as as often as possible, um, such as a freelancer. I think, you know, if you have one, if you have, a, you know, one salary um, for like a year, or like a stable salary, then I guess you have that 
you know, big opportunity once a year or mid-year to kind of, you know, write down to your boss why you deserve a raise. And there are loads of resources around that, you know, of, of how to ask for money and, you know, how to do that. I would say when you're a freelancer or you're self-employed, it's, you have to keep, you're in that cycle of like, you know, um, talking about money. So you have to get really comfortable into comfortable about it and lean into it as much as possible and not shy away from it if you shy away from it you do yourself a disservice so for me I it's not just it's interesting how I guess maybe a year ago it was very much money and like I valued money over time I would definitely say up until a year ago I would say now it's it's definitely a mixture of money time relationship building I think those are the things that kind of build into for me what I call wealth and planning for the future as well so you know I can do something that might not be particularly lucrative but I know that this is a really key relationship that I'm building here that is I'm given time I may not have you know the money element at the moment but that's going to pay off because of that visibility or that thing. And I think it's knowing the difference because you have to be able to like navigate that as a freelancer, as, as you know, I, I understand when people say exposure doesn't pay the bills, totally get that. I think everybody's always at different parts in their careers, you know, as, as a freelancer or being self-employed. So I think it's, it's always hard for me to say, you should never do anything for free. You should never do it. I think, it, yeah. I think it's, you have to, you have to be, you have to be strategic ultimately. When I was 22, I would say up until 2016, I had no savings, like absolutely none. I lived in London. I rented, I had no, I was, I had a very, I had a, you know, a good stable job that I really liked, but ultimately I had no, like not, a, I had an emergency fund of, and I'm not, I had an emergency fund of maybe say, maybe say 2000 pounds that I wouldn't, I, and that's like what in London, if you have to move or do anything that, you know, requires significant amount of money or an emergency that doesn't really go that far. But ultimately over the last, I would say, you know, since 2016 to now I have, you know, savings that I can't, I could only dream of. And I think that's been because I've made lots of sacrifice and sacrifice of my time. So, you know, I've had summers where I, I would love to have gone out and enjoy the sun, but I've spent it indoors, not having any vitamin D really, and just like writing and really just like sacrificing. So I think for me, when it comes to money and earning money, I think about time, how much, how long it's going to take me to do something. I think about what that, how that relationship could pay off later on. And, and also the money aspect. So for me, it's relationship all three that I really look at. Time is so valuable to me right now. Like that is like so important. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And I can relate to that. I think, you know, very often you hear, don't work for free, don't work for free. But to be honest, when you start, when I started Vespa, I was only working for free, right? It's, it's you know, building your, your brand. It's also you know, confidence, like, you know, to be able to, to tell, you know, this is my value. This is what I'm charging. Um, and as you say, relationships are, are extremely, extremely important. We talk about women. So, I mean, I wanted to touch base on, on, you know, the gender pay gap and, and that women are less than men. And of course, you know, people say women should negotiate more. We actually ask for a raise. We don't often get it. I actually never negotiated my salary. I feel really stupid now, <laughs> but I was reading the, the the stats on the gender pay gap for black women and they are even more at a disadvantage when it comes to money. Why do you think that is and 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 what can what can we do? What can we all do uh to to start fighting uh for, for women and black women to get more money into in their pockets? So in all honesty it just comes down to racism for me. That's why se- so sexism is that's you know the gender pay gap. When yep. it comes to the the racial gender pay gap, it's 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 racism. It's 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 a combination of the two things. Like that is what stops people don't value black women's work in the same esteem that they value a white man's work. So you're you know as a black woman you're already at that disadvantage and you have to be aware of that sometimes. And I'm not saying that you know as a, a young black woman you can't put yourself forward in a way that you know in that interview process that makes them know because a lot of time it comes down to that interview how much do they think that what you're contributing to that there's obviously salary ranges right but a lot of the time it does come down to can they afford to lose you like can they do they think that what you bring to that company is at the top end of of that salary range and that 
has a lot of bias attached to it. So that for me is where it comes down to. It comes down to these conversations where you know you may speak to recruiter it's how that recruiter puts you across as well it's it's all of these little things that you know that shave off just a couple of grand every time you know somebody just injects their bias um and but before you know it you're you know starting a new job and you know you've got your white colleague ne- next to you and your white colleagues like um your white male colleague is earning 10k more than you and you're thinking how we're doing the same mm-hmm. job so there is that. I think that's that. It comes down to bias and racism, and people not valuing Black women's work. As and I think that's really that's for me, for me personally, um, how I see it. I have always been quite fortunate that I've had managers and that have always put me at the top end. And I've you know them. I can be. I was always quite good at interviews, like in my in my you know corporate career. I, I remember there was one incident. Um, so it's gone a tangent, but there was one incident that. I kind of mistakenly revealed my what I was earning because I assumed the person it was a white guy he was earning more we were earning either the same or more than me because he was just he had more experience than me and we there was this new credit card that come out that we were working on um, and you had to have a certain salary to 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 have this credit card to apply for it and be successful this is just a standard thing and I was just like and because the marketing campaign was centered around young professionals so I was like what the average young professional X, Y, Z, just talking freely, just trying to, you know, be like on on the outside, this is, I don't think this is going to work because X, Y, Z. And I just used myself as an example because I assumed. And then afterwards the guy was like to me, so from that conversation, I've gotten the fact that you earn more than me. And that was a very uncomfortable for me because I didn't, I didn't do it deliberately. It was just something that, you know, I kind of was like, oh my God, I don't want anyone to feel bad. But ultimately transparency is key like we need no. greater transparency and i think that for me i don't see myself as like you know the, the 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 shining example of how to do that but i would say that because i've always been like lucky enough to not have to feel as if i my work was not being as valued as much and therefore what i was paid but i honestly say that what can everybody do we need to share our salaries more openly we need to talk about um how much we're earning i think that is a big like thing because ultimately companies don't want you to do that and when you ask yourself why it comes down to them being able to get away with murder like just get away <laughs> with utter disrespect of like you know entire groups of people and that gets me angry because it's like why shouldn't we talk about our salaries why shouldn't we talk about how much we earn why is it a hush hush thing i don't get it i don't get the whole british like oh let's not talk about salary or secrecy around money yeah yeah, that's secrecy and i think that's what puts people at disadvantage because it then puts like you know minorities at at a greater disadvantage because you're playing you've got the whole you know bias that you you have to kind of counteract as well so i think for me transparent especially being an self-employed at this at this point i cannot feel awkward about asking about how much is everybody else getting paid on that panel and sometimes you know I won't ask. Sometimes I don't ask. Like, I don't think for me, I have to always be comfortable about what I'm asking for. That's first and foremost. There was a situation last year where a brand approached Yomi and I to like a very well-known high street brand. And they approached us and they said, can you, you, can you guys do this campaign? It's going to be, uh, these are the liberal deliverables for it. Um, would you guys like to do it? Um, we were like, okay, cool. That's interesting. And this is how much would it be? This is how much we charge for this. And we came to a good negotiation, we felt, and we were like, okay, cool. We're happy with that. Then a girl DM'd us, um, DM'd me actually, and was like, oh, I heard that you're going to be on the same campaign just for transparency. This is what I'm I'm getting um, as a single individual. And we were like, as a single individual, getting you're getting that and more get, yeah. yeah. And we just didn't, we it just didn't sit right with us. Um, we went back to the, the, the brand and we said, xyz this is this is we've been you know this is we're gonna have to revise this it's just it's not fair the disparity is, is way too much and we, we're struggling to see why and then long story short we had to walk away because we couldn't come to an agreement so transparency can either you know make you feel very much empowered to say yeah i'm gonna this is a good deal for me or it can make you feel like you know what you're taking the actual piss i don't want to i don't want to you know i don't want to be part of this so i think for me that's where that's really important and also you know greater regulation in terms of openness in companies and what co- reporting sorry that's what i mean like companies need to report these disparities they need to report 
how many how much how many white men are earning this much for every um black person who's earning this much like we need we need all, all of that because it's going to put a lot of people to shame and i think honestly that's that's sometimes the root of how to get people to do better embarrass them <laughs> Yeah, no, of course. And, and you know, when, when this type of discrimination starts, when, you know, you're at a junior level, then what happens when you, you, you know, you're at, if you're lucky enough to be in like the senior positions and, you know, these, these salary increments, then, you know, they don't, they're not for you. So how then can you save more money? How can you build more wealth? Uh, that's a massive issue. But thank you for sharing your experience as a, as a freelancer, because I thought, you know, there can be a lot of discrimination in the workplace, but actually when you leave the workplace, it's also a wild world. You know, I'm also sort of a, you know, influencer, writer. So I also have to also negotiate my rights each time, but it's really hard to talk about money because all these contracts are going to be different. All these talks are going to be different, panel discussions. So it's also navigating this world. But do you think for women who feel that, you know, the workplace is not for them, they're just tired of fighting, you know, building a business or maybe going freelance can be can be a good option? Yeah. And it's it's sad because it's it, the workplace shouldn't be so, and I know I'm swearing a lot, so I'm so sorry, but shouldn't be so shit. That, okay. <laughs> that is basically what the conclusion is. You know, as black women, we I see that a lot. You know, there's a lot of push factors that mean that you this you realize this environment isn't going to be for you and then you end up you know working out how to kind of be successful externally but that shouldn't be the case and I think you know everybody it's being an entrepreneur and being self-employed is so hard in a different way like getting up every day and motivating yourself and you know not everybody has the connections and networks not everybody's going to write a book that blows up like Slane Lane did and it's just yeah. and that's not me just you know being arrogant but it is just the fact that going freelance should be empowering because you know, you're doing the right things by you, not because you've been bullied out from an organization or you've been made to feel unwelcome and there's a lot of negativity attached. That that for me is that's where we're going wrong. And I'm writing a book at the moment that's gonna come out in February um next year that it's called The Reset. And it comes from that fact that I saw last year that self-employment was at the highest it's ever been. And I was kind of like looking into it. It was like the it's the Office of National Statistics like did this study. It was like 2018 and but I saw the study in 2019. And then I was like, why is this at the highest? Like and I was looking at to the in, into the groups that it was particularly affecting. It was affecting people with disabilities. It was affecting mothers. It was affecting black women and it was also affecting highly skilled women as well why are these groups these these demographics like fleeing the workplace in in, in horror essentially yeah. why is that and why are they why are they citing you know greater flexibility a chance to be you know and all of that sort of stuff and i think i think that's one of the good things i would say i was saying to somebody else the other day that working a nine-to-five or having that structured is good and I, I miss it. And there's so many benefits about it. There's security. Yeah. There's so many benefits. Especially, yeah, financial security. And, Absolutely. Uh, like, yeah. I was saying to somebody that, you know, there'll be a month that I earn nothing. And I'm happy to say that. Like, I'm actually, like, I, I don't I don't see that as like a an indictment of, of me as like, as, as, a, as, as a rubbish freelancer. But there'll, no, be, of course <laughs> not, yeah. but there'll be a month where I earn zero. Yeah. But there'll be another month where I earn, and I'm not going to say the number, but I I can earn significantly um, like you know more than the average salary for for someone's yearly salary for a month. That's yeah. just the you know the peaks and troughs of what it is sometimes to be a freelancer. And I've had to kind of be comfortable about that because I'm somebody that loves security. I love checking my bank balance on you know 31st of every month. I I miss that feeling and seeing that chunk of money that I've worked <laughs> so hard. I can relate to that. <laughs> like I honestly I miss that rush. I I love yeah. it but now my my I check my bank balance I would say it's a, maybe like five times a day like it is a bit much because <laughs> <laughs> I could never know like who but also because when you're freelance you never get paid on time so you're exactly. checking your bank balance because maybe a payment has arrived yeah you never know and I've threatened so many businesses oh my god that's probably why like honestly I've, I've been so I've over the last I would say over the last eight months I've become so much more ruthless I've been like if you do not pay me on time I will take this to social media. I will yeah. write about it. Like it's just, it's just a lack of respect sometimes with big businesses. They just don't respect like the fact that you have to, you know, earn a living. But that's the thing. I think you have to get comfortable. There, there is, you know, good and bad sides. But I think what I've learned as well this year uh, over the last two years is you just, you know, you're always on that hustle. Like you're always, you have to think. So right now I'm working on stuff that 
if I work on it over the next couple of months, it'll be out by the same March or something yeah. next year. I'm already thinking about April next year and I haven't even finished the work that I'm meant to be doing that's occupying my time. But you have to you have to be very much forward planning and thinking to the future. You're you you know, you have to really think to yourself, okay, where's the conversation around this gonna be? What what medium do I want to tell this story at? So it does mean that your creativity is like is bolstered by you know the fact that you know you have to make a living and and that so for me my head is I may be here physically and I'm working on stuff that I can't manage but somehow I'm thinking about April next year because April next year all of these projects will be out and that's great and I've done them but I'm also thinking about okay what's next which in itself is is huge pressure not everybody can do pressure and sometimes I can't sometimes I'm like oh my god I can't bother like I'm just I'm just gonna just you know see where it goes yeah, and it's aligning, I guess, like, you know, long-term mission, long-term goals, the impact you want to have with, like, you know, short-term necessities, short-term goals. So, you know, earning money today. But when you work on these very long projects, usually you get paid a little bit now and most of it at the end of it. Yeah. So it's a lot of work where you're actually going to get paid really late. And, yeah, you're losing a bit of this, you know, financial financial security. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. In the workplace also, something you, you mentioned in your book is coaching, mentoring, sponsor, uh, sponsorship, sponsoring. Uh, these are really important things. I mean, is this something everyone sh- should access? Uh, and what's the difference between this? Yeah, so I think it's really important to have an understanding of how the, like, for me, that's how the world works. Like these relationships and being able to tap into these relationships is, is where I guess money lies as well. You need to, you know, be able to have a network that you can tap into. And you do that via mentoring, either mentor somebody. Like I think people always see, how do I get somebody to help me help other people? Like that is for me, the best way to get other people to help you be somebody who is known for helping other people play it forward. Like that is so important. That is honestly how you get people to to help you because you have that energy that makes people think she's always, you know, visibly helping other people, always going out of her way because a lot of the time with opportunities, that's how it comes back to you. So coaching is all up, you know, I don't have a coach. I've been, I've been thinking about having a coach. It is is an investment, but I I know that there's, you know, things such as um, her hustle network. And there's these like networks that mean that coaching is becoming a bit more democratized so you don't have to be a senior executive to have a coach for like a thousand pounds an hour or something like that so coaching something like i do think is important because coaching is more about particular skill so let's say you want to be really into like public speaking i used to hate public speaking hate it and everybody at hsbc would be so shocked to realize that this is my job now so Mm. (laughs) <laughs> I used to literally, I used to, honestly, that was one thing that I used to like, I remember I wrote a note to myself that every day I would read an article and then go to the room, like a little meeting room and explain the key points and stand up and explain it to myself. Like just, because that's how much I used to just hate it. So it's like, that some, was the same, exactly it's the just same. like, and now we find ourselves in these careers that this is what we do for a living, just speaking. But I had to lean into it because that's, it's an important skill in order, you know, to be, to be heard, to be seen and all of that sort of stuff. So, and I guess for everyone, even in the workplace, I mean, I should have done it much earlier. It's a skill that's, you know, it takes time to acquire it, but once you, you get started, then yeah, it's a muscle, as you say, it's so important. Absolutely. Exactly. So coaching is about more particular skill sets that you want to kind of like, you know, accentuate and get better on. Then you've got having mentors is really key. So if you, it's interesting because mentorship has totally changed to me in the last couple of years. Yes, there are people you should be able to reach out for advice and, and, you know, tap into and just say, I'm really thinking about this next move. I've been offered this, I, in terms of this opportunity, but I'm really thinking that this align with my goals. I'd love your opinion. You can only do that if you've built up a relationship with that person. You can't be going to people's DMs and saying, hey, like, can you give me your your advice? Because I really admire you and you've done well in your career. It doesn't work like that. Like, if someone did that to me, I'd be like, okay, why do I owe you this advice? Like, it's just, and also busy people, the reason why you've reached out to that person is because they're probably doing really well in their career and you respect them. So they're going to be busy, in all honesty. So for me, mental, having a mentor requires a level of relationship building I remember last year I was like a bit of a crossroads in my career just kind of like working out you know what do I want my day-to-day to look like and how do I want to kind of spend my day 
and what do I want to learn? So I remember like I, I, I had like coffees with people I admire, people that, you know, pre-slaying or like people I've, you know, I've met before, like about three people. I spoke to Karen Blackett, who is in the book and she's like, you know, a, a media kind of like powerhouse in this country. And I sat down with her and she was just like, you know what, where you're going wrong because you just, you haven't, you, you need to reconfigure your personal brand and relook at it a different way and, and things like that. And, you know, that was very helpful conversation. I, I met somebody else who was like to me, you need to look at rather than thinking about what you want to do, think about what you want to learn. And that was like such a penny drop moment. I was like, Ooh, that's so true. What do I want to learn? Like that will shape like how I want to spend my day because learning. So it's just like the key. So those that's, that's mentorship. You don't have to speak to somebody every single day, but building up a relationship and checking in with somebody, playing it back to them. You told me this advice. This was great. Now I've, I've gone on to like, do this. Like, thank you so much. Like just be able to play it back and also be of use to the other person. So mentor, having a mentor and mentoring others is really, really key. And what was the other one? Mentorship. Uh, sponsoring. Sponsoring. Okay. Sponsoring. See that that's the next level. That's when, you know, you've kind of, you've, you've built up good relationships with people and you're not in the room. So this is, I guess, early in my career that I realized that I had, that it's, I guess, in my corporate career, how more, how much more important sponsoring was then as well, like earlier on, because there are going to be times when, you know, you're not going to be in a room. There are going to be people that are speaking about opportunities and they need to be able to connect you to that opportunity. They need to be able to think of you. Um, they need to be able to, you know, and that, that comes from having a very strong personal brand. That comes from having, you know, knowing people knowing what you're about, but also people feeling that they can trust you with, 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 you know, opportunities and they can speak about your character. And I think that's what sponsorship is. You're not going to be in a room. So you need somebody that says, you know what, she's really good at this. We should really get her to do this. And all this not because, and also what was really great about sponsorship is where there are people who may try and, you know, detract you. This is about, this is also in a particular, in a work environment as well. So in like in a traditional workspace, because you're in meetings and, you know, someone might be like, I wasn't really sure about her that day, like that particular project she was working on. And then you need somebody who can back you in the corner and say, no, 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 she's really good at it because of X, Y, Z. So they detract your detractors away from you, You're like any sort of negativity. So sponsorship is requires like, you know, having a really good brand, personal brand, people knowing what you're about, but also just honestly being good at your job. So I think that is like the next level. Um, but you need all three in your career, um, I would say to honing on your skill, coaching, have be able to tap into your network when you want advice, which is mentoring. And when there are opportunities that you don't even, they're never going to be certain opportunities that are going to be advertised or going to be spoken about or that special project that, you know, that's that sabbatical that they're looking for this particular person. And you need somebody who is of, who is in that room to put you forward without you even, you know, putting yourself forward. So those three things are really important for women, but especially black women. And that's why we made such a point of it in the book is something we need to kind of like start thinking about in a more active way. Thank you so much, Elizabeth, for that. I have some quick fire questions for you. Oh, so five questions, fire. very short. <laughs> Can you tell me your top three financial goals? Ooh, buying a house. I'm just going to say investing, like yeah. long-term investing in terms of like my pension and then three, um, earning, earning more money. <laughs> I don't <Yeah>. know if that's... <laughs> <laughs> what's the best financial decision you've ever made uh leaving my job in 2018 i was so scared um but i'm glad i did it has to be done <laughs> yeah i would probably not have the savings i have now if i did if i stayed yeah no of course maybe a different journey yeah uh worst financial decision well that that you know phone bill a couple of years ago yeah what's financial independence for you freedom yeah actually it's choice it's choice choice yep. that's what it is sorry financial freedom is choice cool and what are the things you spend the most money on at the moment household appliances so i bought, <laughs> I bought a coffee machine i like what else do i buy like i just food I, I for me i just i'm very i'm big on just spending a bit more on certain things so i, I think food nice probably what i spend money on not great because yeah yeah, but well, you know, yeah. it's part of wellness and especially during this time where I feel we spend so much time inside True. and eating and, you know, doing everything in, in our houses. So finally, 
to wrap up, what are the, the things that's been, you know, instrumental for you, or the, the important things you've done that, that really helped you in, uh, in your journey? I would say it's taking risks, betting yeah. on yourself and betting on yourself and believing yourself. You need to believe in yourself, but sometimes it's hard to sometimes believe in yourself all the time. So I say betting on yourself, taking risks and, and leaning into your strengths. I think, yeah, betting on yourself, taking risks and leaning into your strengths have been instrumental in my career and in the way I see my money as well. Great. <laughs> and what's what's next for you? So, you know, I've read Slay in Your Lane. I've just, uh, I think I'm going to receive my copy to Loud Black Girls today. Yay! Uh, the reset Thank you. is coming out April yeah. uh, in April 20... So the reset March, March. Reset March. Is March, yeah. Yeah, perfect. So we'll we'll add everything in the in the in the show notes. Yeah. But what's what's next for you? Uh, these books are just one part of of what you do. Uh, so maybe you can tell us what's what's coming. In all honesty, so I do a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of like you know working with brands and stuff. So that's like like part of my bread and butter and you know quite lucrative in terms of finances and also how yep. I spend my day and what I love doing as well so that is also that always happens in the background and it's less visible but I love it but it's also I think honestly like the future I just want my own business that is like where I'm at at the moment and that's like my long-term like goal I'm currently just putting two together and trying to work out what that could be what that could look like and whether it's viable but I, I want to be able to say in a couple of years time, oh, I just, you know, I'm an accidental businesswoman, but that's, that's, that's <laughs> going to be a lie because you, you listen to this podcast and you say, she always wants to write, run a business. This is not true. <laughs> Inauthentic, but no, that's like, that's probably my goal, goal, long-term goal. I love it. Thank you so much. Uh, where, where can we find you? Is, is Instagram? Yeah, Instagram, um, Elizabeth Febbenene. I don't, I don't, I use Twitter to retweet, so I don't really use Twitter and, you know, if you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. Elizabeth, thank you so, so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for um, having me. Yeah, and, really and I'm sure we'll chat again. Yeah. Money, anything else, your books, you come back to the wallet whenever you want. I'd love that. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of seconds to rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our community on Instagram and Facebook and to subscribe to our newsletter on vespot.com. Feel free to email me with your comments and questions over at emily at vespot.com. Thank you. Speak to you soon. I also wanted to let you know that we are not financial advisors. So the articles, the information made available on vespot.com and in this podcast are provided just for educational purposes and do not constitute financial advice. So make sure you consult with an independent financial advisor for advice on your specific circumstances. Thank you.